Daffodils are blooming, trees are beginning to bud out, and wildlife are beginning to have their babies. While these changes are exciting, they can also lead to some unique challenges when it comes to encounters between wildlife and our pets. On today's episode, we will hear from a permitted wildlife rehabilitator who will tell us what to do if your cat brings home a bird or your dog surprises you with a baby bunny. Be ready to take some notes as we bring you some great information on what it takes to rescue wildlife today on the Family Pet Podcast. Welcome into this week's episode of the Family Pet Podcast, the podcast for curious pet parents, where we believe the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. I'm your host, Michael Shirley, joined as always by Stephen, my older but not wiser brother. Okay, we want to talk about wiser. What what was your, you know, ACT score? Let's go. I don't remember. Yeah. That was a long time ago. That's right. Yeah. Hey, I have other things to worry about because spring has sprung and this is one of my favorite times of the year because things at the farm are growing and I don't have to like feed hay and grain to all the sheep as much so they can eat the grass and lambs are being born. It's a, it's a good time to be on the farm. It is nice uh, in my, so. my backyard there, you know, Mavericks landing zone for when we play fetch, there's grass that's <laughs> trying to grow. It's, well, it's tough because he, he, he tears it up. It up. Yeah. He, he, he tears it up pretty well. For, for pet parents though, spring does come with some challenges and we're going to be talking about one of those challenges today. And that is, uh, I mentioned that on the farm, my sheep are having lambs. And uh, in my classes, when I would teach animal science, I would talk about the gestation link for animals and how everything's gestation, like their breeding season matches up with that their babies will be born in the spring. Do you know why, Stephen? I'm assuming. Why do we want all the babies born in the spring? There's more to eat in the spring. That's exactly right. There's Woo-hoo! more, there's more, a higher level of nutrition. Good job. You would pass my class. With that, so all these babies being born, does, uh, and, and wild animals having their babies at the same time as well, the challenge that our pet parents can find is that their beloved family pet brings presents into the house or to the back steps. Um, and that is, what, what do we do when our dog or our cat finds wild animals and then brings them to us as a gift? And maybe they're still alive. Or you're doing yard work and you are you're, you have your mower and all of a sudden you find that you have run over the top of a nest of bunnies. The bunnies are all still alive, but they're down in the in their burrow, but now your dog is like trying to eat them. So what do yeah. you do? We have a Devin Blackburn. You've heard Devin before and she's back. She came back. She's with Migratory Avian Services. She works with Dr. Kurt. And uh, Devin is back with us in the studio to talk to us a little bit about uh, wildlife I guess we would just say wildlife rescue, wildlife rehab, wildlife questions, because she is, in addition to being a great veterinary assistant for Dr. Kirk, she is also a permitted wildlife rehabber. If I said that right, Devin, I don't know. But uh, welcome welcome in. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me back. We hope that this is uh, just the second of many uh, times that you'll be on the podcast because you're so knowledgeable about uh, pets that we may not all be familiar with, but you're also uniquely qualified to be here today because you are familiar with wild animals. So you heard our intro here. What the heck do we do? Where do we start? Like our dog has brought in a baby rabbit or our cat has brought up a mole and it's still alive and we don't, what What do we do? The, the first thing is that particular animal. So, um, and then we'll circle back to it, but talk about how to keep it from happening again the little baby bunny that has been excavated from its nest and discovered by your Labrador and 
delivered to your front porch. Um, if you can locate the nest, then we can return it if it is not injured. So if you see bleeding, bruising, lethargy, anything else that indicates this bunny doesn't look normal, then a veterinarian is probably not the right call. So a wildlife rehabber is actually going to be the most appropriate because they're going to walk you through that. Um, if veterinary care is indicated, they're going to actually follow up with a veterinarian. And uh, we work very closely, veterinaries, uh, excuse me, veterinarians and wildlife rehabbers. So there is a reason for that. Again, circling back to that point later. But this little bunny, um, we never found the nest. So hypothetically, you have this vast area that, you know, the dog goes out and does whatever. And then you have this other component where these cottontails are super good at making their nest very difficult to locate. But, you know, your dog's out sniffing around and looking at every inch of the property. So we don't discover the nest. We don't know how to return it. So it goes to a wildlife rehabilitator. And finding a wildlife rehabilitator is a lot of people are just going online and looking. And that is in this case, the correct thing to do. <laughs> so looking with your state or department of conservation in Tennessee, we have Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency and they permit everyone. So you would go to um, twra.gov backslash law enforcement and there will be a whole list of wildlife rehabilitators and you can contact one in your area and look for what to do next. Likely they are going to tell you to bring it in or put it back. If you cannot put it back, then they are going to help you with getting it to them. The reason that these wildlife rehabilitators are doing their work versus a veterinary clinic is because they are set up to work with just that species or just wildlife in general. Veterinary clinics, wild animals come in and they don't have anybody to offer sponsorship because they're not owned animals. So that makes that very difficult for the veterinary professionals to provide that care directly, but they can work in tandem with that rehabilitator to make that happen. So um, all of these rehabilitators, even myself, we're volunteers. We don't have anybody giving us any financial support unless it comes in through um, charitable contribution in a variety of forms. So that little bunny is going to have a long journey. It was not injured again but it still has to be raised. So that wildlife rehabilitator knows how to foster the, um, the needs of it based on its natural history. So we can't pet them. We can't talk to them. And when you find that animal, that's going to be the first thing they tell you. Stop petting it. Don't try to feed it. Put it in a quiet, dark place and leave it alone. It's already very, very stressed out. I got a chance to go on to the TWRA website and we'll, mm -hmm. we'll have that link on the the in the show notes, but just for comparison, most of our, our listeners are familiar with Davidson County, which is the county in which Nashville is. Mm -hmm. And I, I just looked it up real quick. There you are. Number mm -hmm. one listed. Uh, <laughs> way to go. Number one, there are only six in the entire county yeah. uh, of Davidson County. So 700,000 people, mm -hmm. residents, you have six. Mm -hmm. Um and I see Debbie Sykes mm -hmm. is is a friend of of ours. She is a, a technician student, LVMT student who who has worked at at Family Pet Health is also listed. So that's where I would go, and I just call the number listed. However, or? they're listed on 
the the website is how you make contact with them. And it it says yours is class two wildlife, mm-hmm. excluding skunks and bats. Correct. No one in the state of Tennessee can have a skunk unless they are a zoo or a rehabilitator. And no one can work with bats. Is that unless of, you're a biologist? Is that because of rabies? Rabies. rabies? It's that, and also in my understanding is for conservation because we have white nose syndrome and mm-hmm. we want to make sure we're not spreading it. So they, they leave that to the biologists mostly. Yeah. So tell me, at this time of the year, how many requests for help do you get? So you mentioned you only see six names. Those six names will get thousands of calls in just one month. So oh. mm-hmm. most of us, um, when the phone starts ringing, it doesn't stop about end of February through October (laughs) and dozens of calls for each individual. So, um, and this is simultaneous. All of us are either students or working in other jobs or raising families and doing other things. So it, um, can, it can be very discouraging for some people. They see this animal and they're very concerned. They want to help it. And then they have to wait two hours on a callback. So Mm -hmm. um, the best thing, if I only have one takeaway for everybody, is to not feed it, not handle it, and keep it safe and isolated. That is the best thing you can do with any of these animals, unless somebody is in imminent danger of um, a predator, like your dog with the rabbits, or um, a vehicle strike or something like that, then Try not to remove it from the situation until you have spoken to that rehabber. And don't give up. Call all of them. They're, right. We're all going to tell you that. So call the next person. Wow. Call the next person. And then eventually somebody's so going to get back. Sounds, yeah, it sounds like you need help. <laughs> it sounds well, like you need more people. Can anybody, I mean, can anybody <laughs> become a rehabber if, that, if they're interested? Like, I love animals and wildlife and I would love to help. Is that the best way that they can help is to like join with you guys like as an intern or something and and learn about that or how does one become a rehabber we love volunteers we need help you're right (laughs) everything (laughs) from preparing diets to um helping with transport sometimes um maybe you're in murfreesboro but the person that can work with the rabbit is in east nashville and well i've got a lot of running around to do today or my car doesn't work how do i get there we you can be a Mm -hmm. transport volunteer so um, there's a lot of levels you can get involved and be helpful. So if the best way would to reach out to a, a listed rehabber already, just reach out to them directly say, I want to help. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. if, if taking it to the next level is something that you're interested in doing and becoming a wildlife rehabilitator, the same website that you have up right now, um, walks you through what the criteria is and how to get that process going. And it's, 200 hours of working with the species that you plan to work with. And you're going to do that all at a wildlife center or with a home-based wildlife rehabilitator. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so then is it, is it 200 hours per, like if I love, I think box turtles are like the coolest uh, of all. And so I would have to do 200 hours just to work with box turtles and then another 200 hours just for raccoons or squirrels and like each, each animal is different. I, I don't think it's quite that broken down. Okay. I think they just want to know that you've got 200 hours of working in 
wildlife care. Um, gotcha. And gotcha. it is my opinion, though, that 200 hours with each species would be good because <laughs> the more you do, the more you learn. And there's just getting started. No way you can know everything. So we mm-hmm. also stay very connected to one another. That's so why that, they call it practicing exactly. veterinary medicine is because we are always learning, right? Yeah. <laughs> when is, we talked um, about what happens if your if your pet finds the spot. What do we do if we find it in my back in my backyard? I'm going and I see that there's the rabbit mm-hmm. uh, nest. Uh, what? Oh no! I can't release Maverick to the backyard to play. How long am I watching? What am I needing to do? That's a great question because there are so many things that will prevent a rehab need. And if you know it's there, then you know how to keep it from becoming an issue. So if you were mowing and you went over the nest a little bit and um, PSA, keep the mower set at the highest setting so you don't do that. Um, Same thing with the turtles. But you um, can scoop all the contents back and cover it back up if nobody's hurt. You know it's there. Everybody's going to know it's there now, including the dog, because you've touched stuff. It's been all over the yard. So the wrong thing to do is think that you are doing the best thing and take them away from their mother. So many people are like, they're going to die here. No, they're not. Well, I have a dog. Well, she knows that because she is actually so smart that she has watched what's going on at your house to decide that's where she wanted her nest. So your dog's keeping the hawks out of the yard and the foxes and the coyotes and everything else. So she knows that she only has to outwit just your dog. So we usually just tell people to leash their animals or keep them in. It's very temporary. Uh, Cottontails, since we're just using them as an example, from birth to independence is about 21 or 30 days. They really do better at 30 to 45. But um, if you can just stick it out and keep your dog in a different part of the yard or if um, they won't use the bathroom on a leash, one of those deals, you know, we, this is why you work with that rehabber because they're going to listen to your very specific dynamic and help you prepare for it. So with the cottontails, because I've had this in my backyard mm-hmm. with Maverick, I, you said that they don't set up the nest in his landing zone where we throw the ball or the frisbee where he's at all the time. They set up over by our picnic table where I stand to throw the ball. So Maverick's not around me because this moment moment he brings me the ball, he's backed up the rabbits already. Know, the rabbits know that neither of you are hunters. <laughs> you just want to play. So Yeah, Maverick just wants safe. to play. If they'll, if they'll <laughs> run around, he'll chase, but he, he never catches. Um, so that's okay. I can st- – how – can I stand next to their nest and throw I would give five them minutes a day? A respectable amount of space. Mm-hmm. Um, just reorientate yourself, you know, maybe a different part of the yard, a few feet over. Um, at my house, I mean, I'm no exception to this. My dog found a rabbit nest, and he's not the brightest bulb on the strand. So, you know, <laughs> he just kind of did some obsessive staring and slight pawing, but um, we knew it was there. So we. We did the old laundry hamper over it. I don't know if you've heard about this, but um, in the instances where, again, if you can't leash your dog or you are doing off-leash play, um, using a wheelbarrow or a laundry hamper or something like that that you can tip over it and it's well-ventilated and also propped up enough that mom can slip under and visit them, that's going to be ideal. Um, or I can, just we, put the, I can just put the laundry basket while we're playing 
Yeah. And then go back inside and then take mm-hmm. it with me. And she's only, that's what we did at my house. And we only had to do it for two weeks. It was so easy. And nobody was disturbed. And it didn't draw any more attention. I mean, maybe that's just my dog. But he. <laughs> Maverick only cares about the ball. <laughs> right. Anything else, yeah. you know, the rabbits could run by. If I've still got the ball, he won't pay any attention to them. So it's, again, very, very temporary. And mom is still going to come. And she is um, only visiting once or twice a day anyway. Cottontails do that. So, um but we'll we'll just change it up. Um, birds, so fledglings and nestlings. Um, a lot of people find those, and they don't need help at all. Well, a nestling, but not a fledgling. Their parent, the adult form of whatever you have just found, is probably watching you pick their baby up somewhere, even if you're not right. seeing them. So that's another one where it's you would want to. The birds, the yeah, the mother birds will fly down and feed it while it's on the ground if Correct. it needs to be. Yes. Yeah. Um, so at, at our house, we have our dogs. We have three dogs that go, but we have a border terrier that loves to hunt. So anytime we've seen, like I, I love bluebirds. We have some bluebird boxes back there. I just put the birds on the other side of the fence and hope that they stay over there. <laughs> so, well, so. and and they might, um, but they uh, often don't need us at all in any way. Yeah. And and you just yeah. if you're moving them like three feet, okay. But if, it, if you're taking them to the other side of the yard, that could be a really big deal. That could have actually separated that family. So sometimes mm-hmm. they're keeping very limited areas, especially if your whole brood just fledged at the same time and you've got six babies in different places, you know? So yeah, yeah. walk me through. You, you keep saying a fledgling and a... So a nestling is going to be somebody that hasn't fully erupted all their feathers and they still have soft corners in their mouth. Their gate phalanges are still kind of squishy where they open and beg. Um, a fledgling is a teenager, so they've gotten their driver's license, but they still have a curfew. They can feed themselves, but they don't make the best choices. So they, (laughs) they need a lot of supervision still, but they are doing for themselves and they don't fully recognize danger. So that's what their parents are also teaching them and they don't need us. They don't, they just yeah, the, the mockingbird mom uh, of the nest that was next to our front door in our old house, we had to come in through the back door. So right. she she made it quite clear, I've got this. You leave my babies alone. And the one that fell on the ground, I can still take care of this one. Those mockingbirds are like the terrier oh of the bird world. Yeah, they would, sit on the, the, <laughs> they would sit on the wire at, in front of our house just They're watching. Waiting. Mm-hmm. They're waiting. And yeah. when we would walk out, it, you just they would dive bomb us. They're like, oh, go back inside. But it's, um, again, talking to that rehabilitator and knowing uh, a lot of us will ask for pictures, text us a picture, so that we can see how mature it is, see what species it is. Um, We need to know, is what is happening abnormal or normal? And that's how we start making those decisions. So if I saw a, a picture come through of a baby dove, I would expect that to be on the ground foraging with its parents. If it is a goldfinch, I would expect it to be very evasive and as high up as possible and not on the ground for very long. So uh, we, we need a lot of details because uh, it's like vet men working with exotic animals. Everybody has their own particular need depending on who they are. That's really neat. So depending on the uh, the species of bird or uh, can, de- can determine... The- 
the behavior, like where you found it, can, it can, oh, that's appropriate place. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Or no, mm-hmm. that's not appropriate. We need, that That's a concern to us. Mm. Interesting. We get that with I, fawns I would, a whole lot. <laughs> right. So. Hmm. Are there any other, like, what are the most common pet, or, excuse me, what are the most common wildlife species that you deal with here in the springtime? Most of the calls we get, so uh, you guys talked about baby season. Everybody has a different season. So um, it just depends on what time of the year we're in, but it usually starts with Mm -hmm. little baby squirrels, and then it goes to cottontails, and then raccoons, and then we start seeing a lot more from our birds and reptiles. Um, And then we get another round of squirrels. (laughs) And possums (laughs) are just kind of all the way through. And then you have some Mm -hmm. of your... uh, bigger predators, the coyotes, the fox, the bobcats and stuff. Um, raptors have already started. So the, the phones will be ringing probably in the next week or two if they haven't already. But um, right. it's, oh gosh, squirrels and rabbits, if I had to narrow it down. Squirrel, yeah. Yeah. So um, what, my last question, because I know we're running out of time. Mm-hmm. What percentage, if, and I know a lot, I know, there's lots of variables, but it, is there a, what percentage of animals that enter rehab actually get re-released into the wild? That is a fantastic question. Or is question. that too broad of a question? No, no, that's, that's a fantastic question because um, we are still figuring that out. And yeah. we've got uh, folks like Debbie who are doing really interesting projects on um, soft releases and determining how many of them are successful uh, with her turtles. Um, We are always trying to perfect it so that we are equipping them the best so that they will survive longer and be more successful. But um, I would say on average, post-release, they're going to be about 50 to 60% successful. And a lot of these animals, you have to remember too, are it's not because they have been captive raised or anything like that or had any experience because of um, an injury it's because most of them are prey animals right so they're not yeah just like life for them is just dangerous to begin with yeah yeah well and even the predators because some of them are faced with um you know you've got great horned owls and they will they'll even prey on skunks and no one else will but Mm -hmm. you know west nile virus will take them down so. Well, Devin, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I think that this was a good starting point for any of our listeners out there that, that find themselves um, around wildlife for whatever reason um, and have given us some, some good steps to take to, make, to ensure that they're, um, if they even need intervention, um, which it sounds like most of the time they don't, but at least it gives us a good place to start and hopefully we've um, shed some light on that. And, and uh, Stephen will have the links to um, the approved rehabbers in Tennessee and in other states, does, does if, if listeners are in other states, do they need to go to their wildlife services to find a list of people to call for help? There is, is that the best place to start? There is an amazing nonprofit that um, is very accessible called Animal Help Now. And they are org. They have a smartphone app and everything. Um, they do it based off of your actual location and they have gone through all the states and gotten all of the permitted rehabilitators and put them in their database, who they work with, where they are. 
Um, I would start with them even before your state organization, just because they are, they're going to do it from right where you're standing. Great. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll link that in the show notes as well. Um, it is time for the part of our show, our fun fact. I know you, uh, you and Dr. Kirk had a fun fact last time. So what is your fun fact to share with our curious pet parents that would help them win trivia night at the local pub or impress their friends and family at dinner? It's, it's super short, but it's a good one. Birds can't smell when you have touched their babies. You, okay. if, you, like it. <laughs> if you pick up a baby bird, you can go from the ground to the nest and that parent will never know <laughs> unless they watch you do it. Unless they watch. And then they're good. Will they be curious? Like what's, what was that all about? So they'll still check on their baby. They, they, they absolutely will. I've done it yeah. dozens and dozens of times and they watch you and then they come and check on them and then they fly off and get the next meal and come back and resume life. There you go. Yeah. And if it's a mockingbird, she will not thank you. She will still attack you. And if it is a mockingbird, you you're going to get pecked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Well, great. Well, thank you, Devin, again, uh, for joining us on the Family Pet Podcast. Um, I, I think it was a, another great informative episode, and we're really thankful for you sharing your knowledge with us. Thanks. All right. Until next time, uh, for all of you curious pet parents out there, stay curious. Family Pet Podcast is a podcast for curious pet parents where we believe the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. The Family Pet Podcast is a production of Family Pet Health PLLC and is recorded in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The statements made as a part of this show should not be taken as an establishment of any form of a veterinary client-patient relationship. All comments are for entertainment and educational purposes only, and you should reach out to your local veterinary partner before taking any action on anything that you've heard here today. We hope that you will share this podcast with a friend and it would mean so much to us if you would take a moment to leave a review and follow wherever you listen to your favorite podcast show notes links and videos to accompany today's show can be found at thefamilypetpodcast.com